This episode is sponsored by Arc IT, and you'll find out more about them later on in the episode. Hi there, I'm Evan Troxell. Welcome to my podcast about how technology is changing the architectural profession. Welcome back to the podcast. It's so great to have you here, and I am very happy to bring you two guests today on this episode, both photographers. First up is Brad Feinkopf. He's been shooting architecture and commercial-related images for over 25 years. He actually comes from a long line of architects and therefore has spent a lifetime looking at architecture and experiencing it firsthand. He received a degree in design from Cornell University, but picked up photography as a junior, and it became his passion. We actually talk a little bit about that during the episode. After Cornell, Brad spent several years in New York City assisting for such notable photographers as Richard Avedon, Robert Mapplethorpe, Arnold Newman, Horst, Joyce Tennyson, and others. And in 1998, he moved to Columbus, Ohio, making it his home base, where he currently runs his studio along with associate photographer Lauren Davis. I've admired Brad's work for a long time and was originally introduced to him, like I have been with so many others, which was via architects sharing his work on their projects via Twitter and Instagram. Which brings me to the second guest on this episode, Lawrence Anderson. His passion is architectural photography, and it's what makes him him. He's based in Los Angeles and San Francisco, California, and he creates excellent high-end imagery throughout the West Coast from San Diego to Seattle. And interestingly, he was brought up in a family of builders, and he loved what he saw and was gifted a camera, and he's never looked back. So while studying in Italy and breathing art, his creative prowess grew. We talk a bit about constraints in this episode and how they can build skills in creativity. I've actually had the pleasure of working with Lawrence on many projects, and it has always been a great time. So I couldn't think of two better people in this episode to talk about what they bring to the table for architects, which is visual storytelling, and how they approach their work from two very different angles. See what I did there? We also talk about gear, logistics, creativity, and how they focus on their art, pun intended, and so much more. It's just really easy to do this with photographers. So without further ado, I bring you my conversation with Brad Feinkanoff and Lawrence Anderson. Brad and Lawrence, welcome to the podcast. This is the first time I've had two guests on at the same time, so we'll try our best to manage this conversation. But welcome. Thanks for joining, and I, I'm really excited about the conversation that we're going to have today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This is exciting. So I've worked with Lawrence before. Uh, on a few projects. He's a fantastic photographer. And Brad, I am very aware of your work through social media, mostly through Instagram and Twitter. I followed you there for a long time. And I've always enjoyed the work that you've done with, with mutual architectural friends. You guys have both kind of branched out in the last, I don't know, let's just call it a decade. It's probably less than that, but into other means of, of visual capture. And I thought... You know, eventually in the conversation, I'd like to get into that kind of stuff and talk about the new vantage points and perspectives that photography is bringing to the work that architects are doing. But I want to first start with kind of where you guys, what what you do, what how you describe yourselves, and the value that you're kind of bringing to the architectural profession, because you both, I think, are pretty specific to the architectural profession. I would love to hear, maybe Brad, from you first, how do you 
tell the story of who you are and why you do what you do and, and why somebody might want to hire you to do that? Well, first thing I would say is it's been and, and continues to be an evolutionary process. Mm. Who I was 35 years ago and who I am today is not the same, nor how I approach things is the same. And part of it has been even getting a better understanding of who I am and what I intend to do. To give you some background, my father and grandfather were both architects. My undergraduate degree is in design. My junior year in college, I got encouraged to take a photography course and that sort of set me down a different path. Mm. And and it wasn't, and I didn't immediately dive into architectural photography. I would say, you know, when I got into photography, it was late 80s, early 90s, and there wasn't the internet at that point in time. And therefore, most of your customers were local customers. And therefore, you know, if somebody needed a corporate shot or a headshot or a food shot or whatever, most everybody was a generalist and not a specialist. And so with the internet, I think it led to specialization and and it led to, you know, I obviously had an understanding of architecture and therefore the architecture percentage of my business continued to grow. And as I would put it, I decided I'd rather get paid to appreciate architecture than do architecture. (laughs) (laughs) You and every other architect out there. (laughs) Yeah, most architects feel I made the right choice. Uh And now I have two sons going into architecture and I feel like I totally led them astray. (laughs) I, I think one of the key things is I think early on I saw myself as a photographer Now I'd see myself more as a storyteller. I think it's obviously important to take good images, but if the good images don't tell a story, then they aren't all that useful. Mm. It it sort of was, I, I do think that, you know, ever since I was a small child, I was going to job sites with my father and looking at buildings and I, I think one of the things that I bring to the table, and, and I've even caught myself walking a project with an architect, but just sort of being able to speak to them about architecture and their design and their thoughts about that revolve around the building and what their inspiration was, and then trying to utilize photography to articulate that. And, and I will say, you know, I think a lot of when you look at a lot of architectural photographers, a lot of the good ones, probably a third to half of them have an architecture degree. And they've got some kind of background in architecture that assists in their ability to understand the subject matter that they're working with and, and speak to it. Yeah, I think that that's a big deal. Like learning the the vocabulary of the the client or the the collaborator that you're going to be working with is a huge deal, for sure. Well, uh, and and certainly, uh, you know, the more you go along, I mean, when you're when you're starting out and you're working on little projects, maybe for construction companies or whatever, 
you know, that may not be as, as critical, but when you're going, when somebody's flying you maybe across the country and you're walking a project with the principal of a large architectural firm, you better be able to converse with them articulately about their project and be able to understand it to the intern be able to go about photographing it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. efficiently and be able to tell the stories that are going to be able to not only get to, I mean, getting something published is one thing, winning awards is another, but creating useful materials that can be used in a presentation, mm-hmm. you know, not every image is going to be a publishable award-winning winning image, but some images just need to be able to explain maybe how one moves through a space or especially I, I can think of like hospital shoots where just being able to show pre-op, operation, post-op, recovery, uh, and being able, those aren't always sexy pictures, mm-hmm. but they have to tell a story that's integral and in being able to, uh, for them to be able to sell their services to a future client. Interesting. Yeah. Lawrence, how about you? What, how do you explain what you do and, and what you bring to the project as a collaborator? Like Brad said, um, I too have a, a background in the architecture and the building industry and kind of was, you know, part of my blood growing up and uh, walking construction sites and, you know, kind of being around buildings and being in Los Angeles, we're a very, we're a very building heavy city. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the context is very different than some more rural areas. So you're kind of always surrounded by it. And growing up in that, uh, I kind of developed a love for it. So I think a lot of the way that I approach my work has to do with (laughs) with how obsessed I am with architecture. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you, when you're, when I'm, when I'm having a dream about parts of a building the day before I shoot, that's, that's kind of like when I know I'm in the zone. That's a good sign. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's the perfect sign. It's like, did I forget that one thing? Oh, no, no. Right. Okay, I'm there. I'm right there. Um, and, that's, and that's where I want to be when I, when I approach a building. I want to be really thinking about a lot of the pieces. And there's a lot that goes into the planning of that and the coordination of that, uh, all the moving parts and all the people's schedules and weather. And I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of elements. Um, but when you experience shooting a building and, and all of that is in balance and you're, you have enough lead time to, to make time for, for surprises or magic or any other uh, element that could create a, an emotional reaction to the images mm-hmm. while, while still telling that story that what, what is this building here for? What's its function? What, what's its use? Who are the people? All those, those massive story point, uh, storytelling checkpoints. That's, that's, that is how I approach a building. It's, it's a lot of forethought, a lot of pre-planning, and um, and a lot of time thinking about it. Even while we're shooting it, it's it's kind of rethinking it and rethinking it was just the right approach to change one thing. And that's that's the way I pr- approach a building. And to Brad's point earlier about generalism versus being an expert in a, in this more of a niche of architectural photography, have you seen the same type of a thing where the internet? You know, I don't, I don't know exactly, you guys are in, in different age brackets. And so like Brad is more 
like when I started practice, there was no internet and it was, it was very much like you, you did it all. Like I can totally see that story playing out. Like you're the local. And so you had to cover a lot, a wide range of topics that you, you would be willing to go photograph and do and, and get into and not necessarily have to choose one, but the internet made it very easy for people to find you. Not necessarily easy. It's not the right word, but the potential is there. Not ju- just because you have a website doesn't mean people are going to visit it and know about you. But did that happen with you as well, where where it, it caused you to want, to, or did you just have that passion for architectural photography? Where that, how did you get into this niche? For me, architecture became the focus early on, mm-hmm. and in the at least for in my market. Uh, it, it was not the the way Brad had described his experience regarding the generalist approach to photography in Los Angeles, at least, and in San Francisco. The the photographers were highly specialized, and I learned that earlier on by one of my photography professors at my school in Santa Barbara. Uh, he taught the architecture class, uh, and he kind of introduced me to the world of architectural photographers, and and that this was a whole subculture and a whole entirely different approach than other areas of practice. So kind of very early on, that's where I set my focus, which was on, um, which was on architecture. But when I did enter into the, the college level of, of learning photography, it was right almost like the year that digital photography started pushing out traditional analog film photography. So we were, we were immediately in this, this, this moment of chaos where we had these, digital scanning banks and we had all this new technology that we had just spent, you know, countless hours in the dark room, uh, not doing that, you know? So, so it was a, it was a little different for us, uh, at that time, Mm -hmm. but digital photography came earlier, you know, in my career than for, you know, Brad's generation. And it's kind of always been uh, a process of trying to uh, incorporate this new technology, new opportunities to, to share these buildings with people that really that's the highest amount of experience that most people are going to be having with that, that building, which is through the, the media that we capture it via photo or, or video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting to think about like the skills of a photographer are very similar to the skills of an architect. And what I mean by that is like the tools kind of don't matter. The t- it's, it's really the process, the craft the craftsmanship of it, the, the ability to think big about what you're trying to do and the stories that you're trying to tell. And it kind of doesn't matter if you're using a pencil or CAD or 3d modeling, just like to you guys, it it probably doesn't matter which camera you're using. You can make an, an amazing image. And then you're starting to think about technology as a lever for how can you really leverage tech to do in this case, as a tool to do the types of things that you're talking about. And I guess we'll talk about some of those things and and some of the opportunities there, but I would love to like hone in more on the idea of storytelling and how you do that visually, because I can only imagine that like Lawrence, you, you alluded to the fact that there's a lot of planning that goes into a shoot. There's logistics, there's equipment, there's people, there's models, there's lighting, there's times of day, there's weather, there's getting there depending on how far away it is and getting all that stuff there i mean that that's a lot but but at the same time like you got to be thinking about the deliverable as an image and how does that convey all of that stuff that went into that and all of the conversations and the that you've had with the architect and and what they want to get out of this and what you're going to add to that so 
when you think about the final deliverable and how those things kind of have to live and tell the story on their own without you there and potentially without the architect doing a good job, you know, backing that up with a narrative. And a lot of times somebody just sees a photo. How, how do you, Brad, convey or how do you think about building an image to do that? It's like to be the vehicle of that story. Well, it, it's interesting. And I wanted to ask Lawrence, uh, Lawrence, do you do a lot of scouting before you shoot? You know, Brad, uh, there aren't many places I'm more uncomfortable in than a photo shoot without a scout. So yeah. I was going to say, I know Lawrence scouts his, his stuff pretty heavily because we've, we've done that together and then he'll do another one. Like we'll walk it together and I'll shoot a bunch of pictures and then he'll, he'll let me leave politely and then he'll go, I'm going to go do this by myself now. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting our, our methods and how they have changed over time, but that's one that, that has remained a constant. Uh, I tend to scout three to five hours on every project. And I don't, I guess we don't need to go too much into our background, but for my background, I did spend one year focus on fine art photography as opposed to the commercial architecture. And, and that, and that did involve a lot of scouting uh, and, and kind of slow initial process and, you know, pre-planning. So, so yeah, Brad, not to stretch out your question too much, but yes, I love scouting. I think it's very important. It allows me to be more creative. How, how about you? Well, the, and, and why I ask that question is I'm probably the antithesis of that. <laughs> I, I knew it was going to go there. I, <laughs> I knew there was going to be a twist. <laughs> and, and, and it's fine because, you know, it, it's, it's really kind of nice to connect with other photographers to see what their process is because, I, I mean, we all have our process and there isn't a right or a wrong or a different. It's just what everyone's process is. And I would say more often than not, you know, I'm hopping on a plane to go to a project and there isn't the luxury to be able to scout that project in advance. But as I have said, that if you're in a city you've never been in and you're driving down the street, you seem to notice everything. Whereas when you're taking that drive home from the office or whatever, down a street that you've traveled down a thousand times before, you don't really notice anything. It just becomes, you know, background. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I go to a project on the first time, when I'm seeing it for the first time, it's magical to me. <laughs> and so and every, every turn is a new realization. It's a aha moment. And like, Ooh, look at that. And Oh, there's a shot from here. And I would say that I tend to be, you know, that I'll, I'll go to a project. A lot of times I'll travel on the morning of day one. I'll get to the project. I'll walk it with the architect over an hour or two. We'll dive in that afternoon. And then we'll spend the next, you know, two to three days shooting that project, um, making use of the sun, the weather, all those kind of things. But a lot of times I don't want to scout because it takes away that kind of magic you know that the magic that, moment yeah. the magic moment and so i want that i want that excitement about the building to be ever present when i'm there shooting it and and the more more knowledge i have of that building the less magical it becomes <laughs> it's interesting because that i that that describes what happens to 
pretty much everybody when they're on a vacation. And I've thought about this specifically when I'm on a trip, like a big road trip, and I'm going through Glacier National Park, and I get an image that I could have only gotten right then. And and so you're using what you've got when you've got it, period. That's because that's all there is. I'm not coming back here. And I couldn't have gotten this shot if I tried, if I planned it ahead of time. I, 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 I think about that specifically all the time, like, because I'm an enthusiast photographer. I'm not a professional photographer, but I've, I've got a certain type of gear. I've got a certain amount of time to do it. I'm always lagging behind my family who's like, come on, let's go catch up. Right. So there's always these constraints that we're kind of up against. And I think about that all the time. Like I, there's no way I could have got this shot. And I'm so pleased with it because I was at that moment at, with that gear and, and in that state of mind that I probably wouldn't have gotten any other way. And it's really an interesting kind of serendipitous approach i love this creative process difference that we're we're sharing here because it is just nothing but good yeah (laughs) well and 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 it's interesting because um even having said what i said um you know i'll walk a project and i will say that i will have the 20 to 30 images created in my mind's eye in the next two days isn't as much about happening upon the images as it is executing that, which I saw on that initial walkthrough. Interesting. That, um, and then sort of, you know, you, you walk through, you know, a room that happens to be on the West side of the building. And, and even though you've walked through it in the morning, you have a sense that in the afternoon, you're going to get some wonderful sunlight. So, you know, okay, I want to be back here around 2.30 on Tuesday because that's when the light's going to be right and everything's going to all of a sudden come together. And and I, I think, you know, in a sense, it's, you know, having done, done this for 30, 35 years, there, there, there's a lot of things that go unspoken that you just sort of know inherently when and where you need to be and how. But yeah, I it, it's it, well. I, I have to relay kind of a funny story uh, with regards to scouting, and, and that I had a project who uh, a client wanted me to scout, and I was like, sure, if you want me to scout. But in in my mind, this is probably a waste of my time, waste of your time, because when we actually come back to photograph it. It's going to be at a different time of year, different weather conditions, furniture will be in, you know, a lot of things will change between now and when I actually shoot. And I said, do you want me to bring a camera? And they said, yes, please bring at least a point and shoot. We want to kind of see what you're seeing. And so I bring along a point and shoot, which I also thought that was a big waste of my time because the point and shoot isn't going to capture what my camera is going to capture. And then the client comes and he's got an iPhone 12 pro and his iPhone 12 pro in the super wide lens was much wider than the lens of my point and shoot. And it's sort of like, like I can't, I can't do anything worthwhile here. You know, (laughs) I'm I'm happy to do it and and I'm happy to share these images, but I have also equated what I do to like a painter that, you know, 
a painter does not take his easel and paints everywhere he goes, mm -hmm. you know, and that painting is a definitive thing. You know, you go out to paint. And for me, I go out to shoot and it's, it's a very definitive thing when I'm doing it. So I want to have the right tools, the right everything to do what I do best. So, so I've done this and I, I'm wondering if you guys have done this, which is, deliberately place because you guys have an arsenal of tools you, you both do you have this right you could do anything anywhere anytime you can make it work you can make it the best it can possibly be have you ever just on purpose limited yourself like built a constraint system so that and I, I probably wouldn't do this professionally or you know i'm sure that there are some artists out there who who will do this but you know limit yourself and say okay i'm only going to shoot black and white i'm only going to shoot handheld i'm only like whatever those things are i'm only going to shoot with available light i'm only going to shoot and and said like okay here's my menu of three to five things this is everything has to fit within this do you guys ever do anything like that i did uh not <laughs> <laughs> your eyes lit up that was <laughs> I, I did yeah. and it was the biggest mistake of my life yeah, <laughs> yeah. For the, the year of the millennium, I spent the millennium in, at, uh, living out of the States and spent that year studying uh, fine art photography, which was a big challenge for me, uh, having just gone through so many, much commercial work, uh, training, rather. When I thought I could lug my big old 4x5 camera all around to the national landmarks and oh, it's and style. all that, yeah, that's uh, pretty much, especially... You know what people are saying. I got a big no-no from the, the Italian police department, and they said, you know, pretty much you got to turn around. So, what that led to was me uh, coming back from like Rome, you know, with my tail between my legs, no, no pictures. Coming back to Florence, where I was based, I, I rented a uh, Pentax six seven handheld DSLR, large DSLR, right? It's large film camera. But the way that I was limited was I had one lens. And it wasn't a wide-angle lens, which tends to be the normal lens for what we use. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a normal lens. So I spent a whole year shooting on just one lens and kind of refining my eye through, through that limited amount of equipment. And sooner or later, I started getting good reviews on my crits rather than my, my partner that I was there with. You know, the, the, the dean of the school is like, oh, I love what you're doing, the colors and the the model and the fashion and you know everybody in photography wants to shoot fashion not not buildings you know they're not they're not as sexy uh, to a lot of people but it's what we love so so here's my my partner here and he's shooting this thing you know and, and then they look over at my work and it, you know i just don't understand this or that or this piece and and then over time you know a lot of restraints or constraints and i started getting better reviews so yeah i found that not too much equipment really helped to to grow my eye. And like you said, it's really not about the, the gear. It's about the, the creative. Mm -hmm. What about you, Brad? Have you ever limited yourself tool wise to get a different take on things or a different spark of creativity? I can't, I can't honestly say that I have. Now there's a lot of things that I've done to try and expand creativity and, and to push things. But as far as limiting myself, probably not. But then, you know, I, I find that, you know, if I if I were to have limited myself, it would have been probably early on in my career when I was. So, I, I mean, at this point, I feel that 
so much of my work is what I do <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that um, I don't want to find myself in any situation where I'm limited. <laughs> Part of it may also be my outlook. I mean, that sounds funny, but mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of accept that the world has certain constraints and, and therefore you, you work within the constraints that you have. And, and every project we have has constraints. I mean, sometimes it's weather that's a constraint. And so, you know, that kind of being said, I, I mean, I guess I'm sort of a glasses half full person where I'm not looking at how am I being constrained or what, what don't I have? I'm sort of saying, what do I have and how can I work with what I've been given? So when you guys are actually out on a shoot, you've kind of done all the pre-planning, you've, you've talked through the project with the designers or the design team and you've seen what there is to offer. Take us through kind of the process of what it's actually like to kind of a day in the life of you guys on a photo shoot and the kinds of what you're trying to actually capture that day. Because I, I know there's a lot of like checkbox type stuff, I would assume. And like you said, there's a lot of images that you've got to capture. So there's a lot of logistics in there. And, and I, you know, having multiple days on a shoot, I'm sure is luxurious. In many cases, sometimes you only have one. So what's it like, Lawrence, when you're actually on a shoot and what what's the atmosphere like and what, what are you trying to get done in a day? Like I said, it did start, start with the scouting uh, where we, we tend to meet up on a site, walk, talk, look around. Sometimes we do that, sometimes we do that scouting uh, like with Google Earth where we can kind of fly around. We're saving time that way. Let's see, on a shoot, what's it like? I mean, it's... It's energized, you know. We're uh, we're trying to have a pulse. Um, we're, we're we're rolling in playing music, and we're bringing coffee, and we're 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 excited about being on a photo shoot again. Every time, it's it's always something new, right? Mm-hmm. We're chasing light, you know. Brad, I got to tell you, I, I start to get a little twitchy when we're not where I want to be at one p.m. Like sharp, you know. <laughs> so so we're using those scout sheets. Like we we block out the hours and. We show up at the shoot. Here's where we want to be. Here's where we want everybody. But definitely we're planning for all the little pieces so that we can get the light that we want, the people that we want. I guess it's also collaborative. That's kind of a big point. And that that does tend to be part of the, the, the pre-process as well that we were touching base on where we're walking and talking. But, but often now we're working with multiple creatives, whereas maybe before, you know, it's unusual now when, it, when I hear, uh, what do you want to do, photographer? Which I have an idea of what I want to do and I say it, but, but now it's more of a, 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 a team effort, I, I suppose, because we, we take all the good ideas and then we push those into the, the best group idea, right. For that photo or for that, that story in the video or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. But typically it's a high energy shoot. We've got people moving and we're, we're cleaning and staging and uh, yeah, it's supposed to be a good day. Yeah, I think on the on the commercial side of things, and I, I would imagine this could be quite different on the residential side of things, which is you kind of have to keep people motivated. You have to keep people engaged. You've got that's why there's music and that's why there's coffee. I've been on those shoots with you and you've got to get those models in the right place at the right time and they've got to be have like a certain pep in their step when they're walking through the frame. And there's so many things like that that I you know, it just seems like a lot to manage. There is a lot going on to create an image like that that doesn't necessarily present itself right on the surface but it it's really interesting to go through that process with you and and to see kind of all of the 
the work that you're doing behind the scenes to create that energy and create that vibe so that it kind of comes out through the image in the end. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're very long days, right? Like yes. we're 12, 12 to 20 hour days and right. we're usually encouraging everyone to get there just an hour or two earlier. Yeah. It's a long day. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, Brad, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if your approach is similar to this or in, uh, what yours is on this matter, but I'm kind of popping in and out of every shot. And I saw my brother-in-law do this one time when he was direct, he's, he's in reality TV. He, he directs reality TV talent. It's kind of like, you know, you go into a real life scenario, but you give little nudges and he, and he kind of pops in and out and says, all right, you know, you say this and you say that and pops out. And I kind of do that with my, my people direction because we, we want to allow for a certain uninhibited looks, but we also need a little bit of help with the storytelling as well, as well sometimes. So that definitely is part of my process is the shooting, placing people, giving the direction and making sure we're kind of on point with the, the story. Yeah. I, I would say that, that my process is, is very similar. And, and when you talk about jumping in and out, I mean, I, I'm always happy, half behind the camera and half in front of the camera trying to position people. And, but I will also say that, there is a part of me that has the uh, visual composition arranged in my head of, of what I want to happen within the frame. And yet at the same time, open also to that, which may happen organically. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I will say there's, there's a fair amount. Uh, I mean, I shot at Purdue university earlier last week and we're dealing with students and, you know, some of them we're able to place, but I mean, we're also in a public area that we don't have a hundred percent control over. People are wandering in, wandering out, but just because people are wandering in and out didn't necessarily make it a bad thing. It, it was allowing things to be that more real. And, and I, I will say, you know, uh, when you start talking about technology and how things have changed over, you know, for me, the last three decades, you know, the whole idea of things being more organic and more real and more uh, people-based, I mean, I think that's really quite, for me, the the beauty of it all is, um, you know, buildings are designed for people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when you start talking about storytelling, you want to tell how, people are interacting with that architecture and how and those type of things and people lending scale and a lot of other aspects to the, the human experience. And so you're, you, you're photographing architecture, but you're photographing architecture as a vehicle for human experience. And if, it, if your images are just about the architecture and not about the human experience, then you're missing part of the story. What's, what's the famous saying? I think it was an architect who said, if I wanted people in my photographs, I would have designed them into the project. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Fortunately, that, that thinking has changed. Right. Oh, I've never heard that one. That's a new one. I'm gonna, right here. <laughs> well, I th- and I think it, it's come up in my work with my, my work as if it's that professional, but you know, like I'm at Mesa Verde or something in a national park and I'm just waiting. I'm at the tail end of the tour and, and I'm just waiting for everyone to leave <laughs> so that I can get that shot. And it's, it takes the life out of it. I mean, I think that's what you're talking about, Brad, when you're talking about the human experience and 
it's how we relate through the photography to the place, which is being able to see ourselves in it. And and that really is the purpose behind showing how the people are using the space and interacting or progressing through it or any number of things. So so that that makes me think of the the new tools that you guys have at your disposal because you know especially if we start to think about let's just take drones as an example okay now it's going to show from a completely different vantage point which typically people are don't find themselves in but you might be using that as a tool to show the kinds of things that you were just talking about brad you might show how people do progress through a situation or use a space in its uh, from a, a bigger picture point of view from you know a thousand feet away and you can actually capture all that inside of one frame from a vantage point that that most people don't get to experience but to to use that to communicate a certain kind of an idea is that how you guys see yourselves using technology because i think when you're talking about representing it and how people experience space and use space typically that's from a you know an eye level kind mm-hmm. of thing and i think that what we're talking about now is tools that expand on that um, but but can still be used for for very purposeful storytelling tactic. Maybe you guys can take us through some examples of how you see these new technologies being useful in a storyteller's arsenal versus just a just capturing a different point of view than than what people are used to. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, I was I don't want to say totally hesitant, but a little hesitant at first. Uh, with drones, my associate Lauren Davis was quick to learn about the drone and everything, and she dragged me a little kicking and screaming. I, I will say, I, I tend to be like a devil's advocate in to, in my approach to technology, in that I, I'm slow to move until I really feel that it's going to be worth my while, and then once I jump. I'm all in mm. and, and put all my reservations behind me. It kind of has to prove itself to you first. Yeah. But, but drones have been, I think really wonderful and, and wonderful in a way other than, other than just that it's an aerial view mm-hmm. is, is my point. You know, for, for years I went up in a helicopter and we did, plenty of shooting from helicopters. But when you consider that a helicopter isn't to go below 500 feet and drone isn't to go above 400 feet, I don't really think that most buildings, that their their best vantage point is from 500 feet and above. You know, there, there has been projects where simply a project is at the top of a hill and there's a drive going down and the and the architect would like a, pro, a shot of the project on grade and on grade would be up 20 30 feet and i certainly don't have a tripod that'll put me up 20 30 feet and i would have to spend a thousand dollars on a lift to get me up 20 30 feet right. but i can get a drone to take me up 20 30 feet and get that that vantage mm-hmm. point that i'd like and that's not even you know something quote unquote aerial. Mm-hmm. But I think really from the storytelling standpoint, to simply give a project context in its surrounding environment, I, I think can often be invaluable. Mm-hmm. I would say two weeks ago we were shooting a, a new chiller plan at Ohio University. 
And when you're on standing on the ground, you don't have an idea of where Ohio University is in context to the chiller plant. But to put the drone up and be able to say, here's a chiller plant and here's Ohio University all around it, just by getting up 100, 150 feet, that kind of storytelling is invaluable. Yeah, that's absolutely the same on, on my end as, as well regarding drone. Drone has become a mandatory tool in my box now. The, the, the first drone that I bought, uh, I, I kept it in its box for about a year and a half. I wasn't too excited about it either, like, like Brad described. So I opened it up and dusted it off. and You just did it so that when, when somebody asked, you're like, yep, it's, I got it right here. <laughs> yeah, it's sitting there. It's with me, you know? I think I even did bring it with me. Let's take a short break from the conversation to talk about this episode's sponsor. As business owners and architects, how often do we think about our IT provider? Typically, only when things go wrong. And for many of us, unfortunately, this happens too often, especially with the latest emphasis on remote work. I know I had to deal with my fair share of IT fire drills. Not pleasant at all. ArcIT, however, is a different kind of company. They specialize in serving architecture, design, and engineering firms. Their goal is to help you use technology as a competitive advantage. This means that they understand your technology stack and won't waste your time and money learning how your tools work within your process. Combine this with industry-leading response times, proactive remote hardware management, solid disaster recovery and backup solutions, and enterprise-grade security management. And yet, all of the above are just table stakes for a solid IT company. ArcIT goes a step further. They become your strategic partner when it comes to planning, budgeting, and integrating new technology into your business processes. All of this sounds expensive, right? Nope, because ArcIT is highly specialized for our industry. Their pricing is on par, or in some cases, even lower than other IT providers. ArcIT is transparent and publishes pricing on its website. Your business deserves a competent, responsive, and proactive IT partner, so reach out to Boris, the ArcIT founder and CEO, for a free consultation. And go to getarcit.com, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T.com, and click work with us. But yeah, there's, there's that realm that, that Brad described, that bird's eye view realm that you don't, you can't get to with a helicopter necessarily. And there's not always a rooftop or a balcony laying around, you know, that you can hop onto. And if it is, if there is that there for you, that vantage point to, to stand on and shoot a camera from, it might not be the best spot. So taking drones up into the air and getting this whole new element of the, of, or piece of the puzzle, I think that's what it is. It feels like capturing a piece of the puzzle that has always been in demand. Client, architects have been asking me for that view forever. Mm-hmm. Can you go out into the parking lot and shoot up 70 feet? You know, it's been like a forever thing, but, but now, I mean, we have, the sky's the limit with all the, with the lenses that we're using and the technology that we're using on these things, we can just do things that was just impossible before. It's interesting because we've always had site plans. We've always had 3d modeling. We've always been able to zoom out, right. Ex- extremely far and see these things in a, in that perspective which people don't get to experience. 
right? They don't get to experience. And so this is the closest way that architects can enable people to experience the project or understand it, like Brad mentioned, from that context point of view without actually sending them up in the air into an airplane or a helicopter. Yeah. So I can, I can imagine it, it can be extremely useful. Are there other examples of tools that, that have come into play in the last decade that you feel are similar in that way where they're expanding the point of view of a photographer and an architect? I would say, well, if you go back a decade ago, I was shooting medium format even though the quality was exceptional, I would say I was one of the only ones who appreciated the quality. I was the only one with the loop looking at <laughs> my stuff that closely. And and I will just say the new, in my mind, SLRs that we can shoot at lower light levels and therefore capture movement, capture those type of things has made it far easier to capture reality in a way that certainly was much more difficult in the film era, but, but even, you know, 10 years ago, shooting medium format or, or whatever, I'm not saying it couldn't be done. And, and I've got lots of beautiful work that I did in my four by five days, but with kind of the shifting of, what we're trying to capture, what kind of stories we're trying to tell, the fact that we can shoot at a higher ISO and still maintain our quality is pretty valuable. Yeah, so so chip design has come a long way that's driving these cameras, that's driving the optics, that's capturing the sen- you know what's going on on the sensor. It's got to be, it's incredible. Absolutely. What about you, Lawrence? Yeah, definitely. Definitely cameras improving has, has done a lot regarding affecting how we're shooting architecture on my end, you know, we, we, we were kind of touching base on the video aspect and what was it like 10 years ago around that same time, the higher quality video became more available, a lower cost to, to photographers. And it was, it was kind of like the 5d, the Canon 5d was the big one that opened up the gates. And then all of a sudden you started seeing a broader range of videos that were out in the, in the world. And it started leaking into architecture. And that's made one of the largest shifts uh, on my end for the last year, which has been storytelling through filmmaking. You know, I kind of I kind of joke about this. I don't know if you know this, Evan, or Brad. Definitely not Brad doesn't know this. But uh, there was about five years ago when uh, Evan's team, Evan was not there, and I, we, we went out to lunch and I, I found out that I was unknowingly taking four vegetarians out for Korean barbecue <laughs> to discuss filmmaking. <laughs> and uh, it, was a, it was a rocky start, you know, and that, was, and that was five years ago. And then fast forward to last year and we, we created one of our first like larger films and there, there are elements in these teams like Evan's team. They, they won an AIA award for their film that they made internally. And I'm seeing so much more value in it now in filmmaking of architecture seeing more value in that now than, than ever before. It opens up an entirely new arena on how people can experience architecture. I mean, through the architectural photography, you can capture so much, but on this entirely new platform, we, we can tell more. Mm-hmm. That's been one of the biggest impacts I've seen has been the demand for filmmaking of architectural projects and how to approach it. 
I think successful architects in general understand that the story is a super powerful part of the building being understood, being known, like future work potential, um, the ability for that story to get passed down from user to user. And, and so I'm wondering how you guys think about the ability to take these images and then everything is so shareable now and and kind of how copyright fits into that as is a very, you know, a lot of people don't understand it, choose to turn a blind eye to it, ignore it altogether. But, but how do you guys, you know, maybe copyright aside and just thinking about social media and websites and the ability for people to share so that these stories can have a life beyond the images that are in some architect's lobby. How, How do you, how does it, how do you guys see that as, as part of this process and part of the toolbox? I, I got a call the other day. It was by a design a designer, a head of the design firm who had uh, there before his, before he actually even started at the firm. And then he later took over the firm when the previous people retired. The designer was telling me how his firm was responsible for the three aquatic centers in, in California that the majority of the PAC 12 aquatic athletes, they, they, they come out of there. But nowhere has he told this story. Mm. And he, he felt that this was something that when, when he connects with people, even in like a, a neighborhood environment, his own neighborhood environment, that when this was communicated, it was, there was a lot of impact and a lot of conversations generated from that. So that was an instance where I thought, wow, you know, that's right. We, could, we can show the projects together, but, if we, but maybe there's an opportunity to show a, a more to tell a more cohesive story. And that's one of the areas where I'm finding I'm being challenged at right now is how to tell that one story, three, three aquatic centers that have the same design, same design team, different, different locations. It's, it's interesting too, to think about the potential size of the audience, especially with digital just transference or posting things onto social media. Like the audience could be much larger than anybody ever expected pre, you know, previously. So does that come into play here as well? And I mean, I'm wondering if you guys even have started to shift or, you know, I don't know where your stance was, so I don't know if it's shifting, but around like the shareability of images and image making and, and, and does that bring you more work? Is there, you know, because I know like architects and photographers have always been bound in this, this agreement of like, you can use it for this, but you can't use it for that. I've tried to share work that I've worked on on websites and I've gotten the, the hand slapped. It says, no, you cannot show that. And it's like, I want to tell this story. I want to inspire people, but I can't even share that image. So, okay, I'm going to go out with my iPhone and I'm going to shoot it myself and I'm going to share it that way. So it's interesting for me to think about that. I'm wondering how you guys deal with that because you're definitely a big part of that equation. And I would take us through maybe some, some of the changes in an ideology that you've had or not, like maybe you've doubled down on, on where you actually stand. I, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm somewhere, I would say, in the middle. I'm a staunch protector of copyright and uh, hold fast to my copyright and, and the licensing of my imagery and the amount of revenue that my imagery generates after the fact. I, I think if other photographers saw that, they would understand the need to, to protect their images. As far as shareability, 
and and this goes back to my father and grandfather being architects and being around the profession my whole lifetime and knowing how architects use the images. I mean, I basically give my AEC clients all rights to use the images however they wish. I, I'm not going to call up in five years and say, you know, you need to relicense the images. And I do think shareability, whether it be through blogs or, or whatever, is fine. And then and in turn, people do become aware of, oh, you shot XYZ, we'd like to buy usage rights to those images so that we can use it as well. But as long as people understand there's a difference between sharing in a somewhat editorial capacity and acquiring for the promotion of your firm, you know, that those are different, different animals. Yeah. I think Brad, I, I think you share the same perspective as I do is that we're, you know, I mean, we're cr- commercial photographers. So while our creative, you know, juices are flowing towards the direction that we have at the end of the day, we have to make something that works for the commissioning client. And maybe if we need, and at least that's my perspective and, and you know, that, that at times can change regarding the usability and the shareability. So I, myself, I know Brad does this as well. We, we, kind of keep a finger on the pulse of what the industry standards are regarding licensing and how, how those are changing over time and what's happening in editorials and what's happening with, with website usage. Like when there wasn't websites, now we have to all of a sudden come up with website usage. So there's something new all the time, it seems like. There's something new all the time. And I, I think that at least on my end, you know, connecting with people and, and hearing how they're handling this as, as, a, as part of a network helps to keep my practices uh, current. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge, you know, protector of my copyright as well. And same thing for residual sales or additional companies coming into licensing the rights, you know, that's like half my income. So, so, and, and that's been the traditional process of things. And, you know, certainly I think teams want to work with, with creatives that value their work and that, that is a way that we, we protect our work. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to say that that perspective doesn't have to change over time. I was connecting with someone recently that was a well-known architectural photographer. We were talking about how our images and media are used in an editorial sense, in where they get published or how they get published and what's the process and how do we charge. For me, I really look, I really pushed away from the publishing world. Trying to get my images published was never a, a goal of mine, quite frankly. But it was of my clients. They everybody wants to be published. My, Except me. So, <laughs> you know, so we have to account for that. For me, publishing was always a painful process. And, you know, when I describe my photo shoot process, it's a pleasant pro- process. It's a, it's a positive and a highly energetic. It's not a, it's not a grueling thing. And, and I found that working in the publishing world could be that at times. So, so I also have less to lose in that area because I don't put so much in the publishing. So I don't restrict it as much either. For licensing rights, I try to create a custom formula for every project that that fits that team. And usually people like Brad and I are going to work with teams uh, over and over again, and we're going to evolve that that use. Did I speak too much for you, Brad? I, I, I know we're in line on some. Oh, no, no. I, I think, no, I think we're, we're very much in line. And, you know, it, like you said, it, it, it is an evolving process, but... I I think the biggest thing for me is 
you know, I want to be compensated for my work and, and, you know, that's obviously important. I've got a studio to run. I've got a family to support, but uh, at the same time, I don't want monetary things to be the whole driving force behind what I do. I, I mean, I will say through, through COVID, through the pandemic last year, I shot, you know, we had a reasonably good year, but I was not going to hole up in my house and not shoot. Not, and, and we were very, very careful about what we did and how we did it. And I would say we mitigated our risks to the best of our ability. But I would also say I need to be out there doing that to nurture my soul <laughs> that, that it, it, my work um, I shouldn't say this too loudly, but I would do it even if I weren't getting paid for it because I derive that much enjoyment from what I do. And I, I want to be out there doing it. And I will say that I find too many architectural photographers when you find yourself on the listserv who are always talking about, well, what did, don't you get paid for that or, or why shouldn't we get paid for this or whatever? And when I first, I mean, uh, we're going back 35 years, but when I first sort of assisted somebody in the industry, they charged for everything. And I just felt the clients on the other end of the side, you know, had to feel like they were being nickeled and dimed all the time. And I'd rather have a higher creative fee and several other line items and my creative fee takes care of a lot of those nickel and diming things, then a lower creative fee and then have 50 line items of all the things that, you know, use it for this, use it for that. I, I want to make it simple and clean and you're paying for my time. You're paying for this, you're paying for that. And we're done. Uh, and, and you go use the images as you need and, I'm here to be, I think a lot of times photographers forget that we are, uh, I think your point that we're, we are a commercial photo studio. Okay. We are in, in the process of serving our clients and serving our clients is our first priority, not serving ourselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, we have to do both, but you know, first we need to be in service to our clients if we hope to be around for a while. Let's do kind of a lightning round here. I want to talk a little bit more about what you guys are excited about in the photo world and what you're excited about bringing to architecture through the work that you're doing. So it could be hardware, it could be software, it could be a new process, it could be something we're not thinking of. Like, for instance, something that that happened in architecture, you know, three decades ago was CAD came in, right? And it democratized the ability for people to draw the same. Anybody could make a a beautiful looking floor plan then because everybody had the same tool potentially to do that. I can imagine that's very similar with the cell phone in everybody's pocket for you guys. It's very much a, even though it's, it's called an iPhone or a Google pixel, like it's a, it's a camera. To me, it's first and foremost, a camera in my pocket. And like the, 
what computational photography enables me to be able to do, especially like those low light scenarios or those high detailed air, or, or I can swipe up on the photo and turn it into a, a long shutter image and make it look like the waterfall is, is there on a slow shutter. So those kinds of things are exciting, but also constantly changing how we think. So what are you guys excited about hardware wise, software wise for what you're bringing to the table when it comes to telling an architect's and a project story? I am very excited about the new drone that I bought yesterday, which is not just a new drone, but it is an entirely new camera system. It was very painful for me to make this step. I've been needing to do it for a while, but it enables me to shoot ultra wide angle shots in the air from directly across the street and capture an entire elevation. It enables me to zoom far away and get this compressed shot of clusters of buildings. So the technology with, the, with drones, it happens to be my most incredibly exciting thing at this moment. Uh, for myself, I got into drones with hiring pilots to come out and I would direct them until they started flaking on me with challenging uh, schedules. So I realized that I had to uh, get licensed and become a pilot myself. So I'm excited at looking at my camera cart and going, do I pull the camera or do I pull the drone? And that, yeah. that's a very different perspective for me. I'm excited about my new camera cart. When COVID came, I didn't want everybody touching my stuff. So, <laughs> you know, so I had to, and like Brad, I didn't want to park it in the, in the basement. I, I had to be out there. So when the time was right, I, I came out, but it was on new wheels and, and that has completely revolutionized my entire system. Such a funny little thing to, to say, but, but it's, it's making such a huge difference, you're saying. Huge. huge. We've got Wi-Fi boosters and surround sound. I don't even have a camera case anymore. Can you believe that? It's integrated. I'm maybe most excited about filmmaking because it allows me the chance to collaborate with more people on a project, which really brings out some beautiful results and it's this whole other level of magic for me because not only am i seeing something that i was part of i'm also seeing something that i was not solely part of in through the camera so yeah uh drones camera carts and filmmaking and before we move to brad tell tell everybody what the drone is just so we have an idea of what you're talking about here i purchased an inspire 2 with an x7 gimbal and all the lenses nice and, and uh, I, it was really at the point where I, I couldn't not have it with me every moment anymore because half the projects that I have have a drone requirement. And the funny thing is that some of the ones that I, I, sh- I shot a, a medical school a few weeks ago that, that we needed to tell that story that Brad described the, the circulation element and there was no way to get it. You couldn't see a line of people from above down below. Yeah. So after multiple requests of, hey, should we you want a drone for this? Hey, is this a drone shot? At the last second on the shoot, someone changed their mind. We had the drone ready to go. We got that shot. And it's, I don't know, it's still, it, it, it's a very exciting moment when you, when you, when you bridge that. So, um, so yeah, so the Inspire 2, the lenses, it, it's a lot more scary looking. It's a lot more, you know, if you crash, but it, it, it's going to, it's like, we're, it's like having six lenses instead of one lens in the air, which is, which is a big deal for a photographer to have have the right glass. All right, Brad, what about you? What are you excited about? 
Well, it's interesting. I'm fairly much a here and now person. And if I'm excited about anything, it is a return to normal (laughs) to get to a point where we're not wearing masks and we can show projects as they were intended to be utilized. So, I mean, if I have an excitement, it's much more about that than spurned by technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm... I'm pretty content with the tools that I have in my kit bag. Probably the most recent addition to that, which is kind of in some ways the antithesis of Lawrence, that I bought a DJI uh, Mini, not for flying around outside, but that we threw, flew around our other drone inside and in like large atriums and things like that and even though we did it successfully it was always a little nerve-wracking mm-hmm. because uh you know you don't have the same kind of gps control as you do outside and the, the mini at least allows me to put it up in an interior space with a certain level of comfort that if it crashes it's not going to be the end of the world we're not going to hurt anybody and you know we'll be just fine and i had waited until DJI released a mini that could shoot raw because I, I you know, I didn't want a, a JPEG. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I am looking forward to using the mini, but more just from a comfort level. And, and I, I'm not saying that I'm sure there won't be technological advancements that will happen in the years ahead that, that may prove to be very exciting, but I'm probably more excited about whatever the next project is than I am about the technology that I'm going to utilize to execute my vision. You guys are both very much like uh, gearhead type guys, right? I assume like it's always a new toy or or maybe it's you're always looking at new toys and things. I'm wondering, though, on the software side of things, because that's where you're actually processing. That's where the retouching is. That's where a lot of times there's a lot of additional magic happening. Is that just a necessary evil part of the process? You don't like it or you do like it? Like where, where do you guys fall on that side of things? As far as uh, I go, I, I will say I've always had a retoucher. I, I made a decision long ago that I wanted to spend my 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to find somebody who wanted to spend 40, 60 hours a week in front of a computer screen and let them be the best retoucher they can be. And I want to be the best photographer I can be. And I found when Photoshop first came out, I saw so many photographers go to spending 10% of their time behind the camera and 30% time be in front of a computer screen quite frankly, I don't think they ever became as good a photographer as they could be. Some of them became very astute at doing Photoshop, but, you know, I didn't get into photography to do Photoshop. I got into photography to take images. Mm -hmm. Let's see for, for myself, I, you know, this pretty much the same, same perspective as Brad has on that, which is I want to be out, you know, walking sites and taking pictures. So the way that I've handled uh, editing has been through finding the right, the right teams to to uh, partner with on that, and then I I direct the process. One of the best uh, advents of, of technology, again, not to to put too much on that point, uh, has been my ability to connect with editors, photo retouchers, and whatnot uh, from around the world. So 
so I have teams outside of the country that help with a lot of my editing work as well. And uh, don't worry, they charge U.S. rates. So, <laughs> but the but the the level of work is just outstanding. And I got to tell you, it was like it was like moving out of Santa Barbara level of divorce, like mental management, trying to hand over mm-hmm. my editing to a retoucher. I, it was like two months on, two months off, two months off to come back from vacation. Sorry, you're fired. I got to do it myself. But I think it took me seven years to, to pass on the, the entirety of my editing. And it really is a, a, a higher level than I could have ever gotten to myself. Not to mention turnaround times. Like, like Brad was mentioning, if you're, if you're out as a commercial shooter, if, if you're, you're in the studio working on your image for 10 hours a week, that's, that's a, a day you could be shooting another project or thinking or dreaming about a project there. So, so yeah, it, from my perspective, it's not where I spend my time and, and being able to connect with the, the entire world to help me with that uh, allows me to be selective. I think the difference between you and I, Lawrence, it has to do with your, when you entered into the market. You know, you, you entered in a digital age. So you entered at a time that when you were starting off, you, you probably had to do everything. And therefore, you know, you had to give up something where I was, you know, going, you know, was first going from film. But even when I was shooting film, we were drum scanning it and we were retouching it in Photoshop. And uh, but I knew when Photoshop came along and it, quite frankly, I had somebody who was my assistant, my, my first real retoucher, who was my assistant who basically came to me and said, I think I could be of much greater value to you as a retoucher than as an assistant. And they became my retoucher for the next seven years. Interesting. And, but that was right at the advent of of Photoshop. Mm -hmm. So it, it just seemed to be a very seamless transition at that point in time, you know? Nice. Yeah. That, it, it's it's uh like you said it, that some people are making these choices and some they don't realize they're making these choices by really specializing on that one thing and becoming they're they're giving up you you've only got so much time it is the most valuable asset you've got you've got to decide how you're going to spend it and I think some people don't think about it like that and they do end up doing something that they didn't initially start off thinking that they were going to do like Lawrence he's now a drone pilot he's not a photographer anymore. <laughs> 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 All right, so let, let's let's wrap it up here. One one final question, and I would love it if you guys could just give an example of who people should be paying attention to in the photography world. It could be somebody who's long gone. It could be somebody who's up and coming. You know, like obviously in the architectural world, there's Julia Shulman and Ezra Stoller as like very like those examples of the coffee table book. But but from you guys who know photography, take take a minute and just tell us each one of you, um, who that is. And I would also love it if you would just tell everybody where they can find out more about you on the web so they can follow along with what you're doing. So Brad, why don't you go first? Well, this is an interesting story and, and, but it, but it's, it's been honestly great fun for me for probably a good 10 years. Fernando Gaera, who's in Lisbon and I had emailed back and forth and communicated and in the, New Year's, essentially 2018, 2019, I took my family to Lisbon and Barcelona. And when we were in Lisbon, Fernando and I got together and 
had dinner together. And it turned out about three months later, right before the pandemic really hit, he happened to be in Cincinnati, Ohio, and was shooting something at the Contemporary Arts Center in Cincinnati. And we got together again and, and sort of struck up a friendship. But now we probably communicate via text probably two to three times a week. I mean, a lot. And I, I just, I, I think his work is beautiful. I love what he does. I love his vision. It's, it's funny, and I think Lawrence will appreciate this, what he does and how he does it, just because when he was in Cincinnati, I kind of helped him out. He shoots entirely different than I do. I mean, entirely. His process is entirely different. And I couldn't emulate his process for the life of me, nor, nor would I. And I don't think he could emulate my process either. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's a different way of working, a different way of, I mean, the visualization might be, I mean, we, we kid about it because he takes thousands and thousands and thousands of images. And, and, and I, I think his curiosity is endless. And I tend to be so much more definitive and I go and I go, okay, here's this shot. Here's that shot. You know, for, for me to say that I, I went to a building and did 35 images, which to me would be a decent amount of images. And he'll go, Oh, I'm trying to edit the, these images of this house down to 400 because I, I got 2000 images. Yeah. And, um, but I, I just, you know, I love his work. I love the relationship we built. I mean, I, I truly consider him a good friend. And, uh, and it's also been interesting through the pandemic to have somebody in another country to uh, have, talk about, okay, what are you dealing with? What are we dealing with? And, and all that. But Fernando Gallera, I find as an, a total point of inspiration. So. Awesome. Awesome. What about you? I, I, I did see, I, I know Fernando's work as well, uh, Brad, and yeah, <laughs> pretty different uh, than than what I shoot and, and what you shoot. You know, I, it's a it's a, gr- a good question, Evan. I I mean, I, I and I thought about it for a second, and really, I I want to say that I who I would be looking at right now would be the unknown photographers. That's who I'm looking at. I I've started taking a little bit of notice of the Archetizer and Arc Daily and. Uh, AIA, uh, all the all the different photo competitions uh, that are popping up and how they're evolving, and it's it's always it's been interesting for me to see the maybe the second and third places be some some people that I know or recognize, and then that first place image is someone I've never heard of, and it's this entirely new fresh take that has kind of traditional elements that make a photograph great, which can sometimes be cast aside due to something else be it like the drama of the building and then they just kind of botch it on the composition or go with something boring but the people that i would be looking at would be that the people that we we can now reach their work uh online and and i think the competition is a lot greater because of it i i would add one thing one little thing and and what i was going to say is and and this is you know at the core of me and probably at the core of Lawrence as well, though, as much as we will talk about new photographers and those type of things, you can't know your future if you don't know your past. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just, um, 
I teach architectural photography every other year at Columbus College of Art and Design. And it troubles me how many young photographers don't know all of their predecessors. And, uh, and it's not just architectural photography. Yes, we can talk about the Ezra Stollers and all those people, but you know, it's the Steikens, it, it's the, the Stieglitz, it's the, all the other people who came a century before that, quite frankly, uh, I think there's as much inspiration to be drawn from them as from the new people. I will tell you, my first job out of college was working for Richard Avedon. And Richard Avedon was looking at Raphael, and he was looking at Michelangelo and their drawings to use for inspiration for photo shoots and how they were using movement and things like that and how he wanted then to emulate the movement shown in a Michelangelo drawing in a Versace campaign. And so I think that is, that is just as integral to look backward as to look forward. Thanks for bringing it back to that. I think that bringing it back to the art of why we do what we do and the inspiration behind that is, is a fantastic place to wrap it up. And you can find more of Brad's work at findkanoff.com and Lawrence at lawrenceanderson.net. And I'll have links to both of those in the show notes so people can just tap on those and it'll take you right to them. So thank you guys so much for your generosity today and for sharing. This has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Yeah, this is great. Take care now. Thanks for listening to the Troxel Podcast. And once again, I would like to thank ArcIT for sponsoring this episode. Visit their website at GetArcIT, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out and, of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for eTroxel. Talk to you soon.